Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Thursday late in the afternoon, and uh, I wanted to do something uh, a little different, and uh, therefore I turned to our uh, faithful friend, uh, Abe Gluck and Gluck Plumbing in Lakewood that's uh, sponsoring this, and talk about a letter of the Ramban to his son, which is probably not the letter that you know. And I thought of this because I'm, I'm doing this series now here in Baltimore, which eventually be up online somewhere, um, on the court Jews in Spain, uh, six episodes, and these are the Jews who hung around the royal courts and that sort of thing, starting with Chasdeh ben Shaprut and Shmuel Hanagid, but then the regular guys like you never heard of, like Yosef Pichon and, and others, and uh, it's a very interesting parsha. And the point I was making in the talks, because I've already done three, is that whereas somebody like Shmuel Nugget was like a Rishon, you know, a, a very high hush of a person, uh, a lot of the court Jews, especially when Spain switched to Christian from from a Muslim, in other words, in the 11-1200s, starting in 1080 or so, the Christians reconquered most of Spain <laughs> from the Muslims in 200 years of war, uh, and this meant the rise of the kingdoms of Castile on the one hand, the Aragon on the other, and uh, they're constantly fighting either with the Muslims or with each other, and uh, all the kings, for their own reasons, um, had court Jews, that is to say, Jews who uh, who ran the taxes for them and who were money managers, and some were also diplomats. But the primary role of the Jew was uh, to organize the taxes. For some reason, Jews had a reputation. I don't say it was undeserved for being better at organizing an IRS than Goyim. And therefore, every king and every queen uh, had their Jew or set of Jews. And what that would mean would be, let's say, for example, I'm just making this up, obviously. Let's say, for example, I want to get taxes out of New Jersey. So uh, how do we even figure all that out? And let's say I have an idea, but how do you do a Lamaisa? So one way is to set up a IRS with pensions and unions and all the rest of it. The other way is to, hi- is to hire it out. And so I get a guy named Gluck, for example, and he comes to me with a plan, and he says, I can have tax collectors uh, set up in every town of Lakewood, from Trenton to Patterson to, you know, uh, Atlantic City and so on, all over the place. And uh, here's how we make the judgment, how much money should come in the taxes based on the figures of the economy and whatever. And bottom line is, I will give you a check, certified check, or I'll give you cash for this and this amount of money come January 1, in return for which, of course, I uh, get to keep whatever's over that. You know, or, or some variation of that. That's a grub example. That's variation of it. Now, let's say, for example, this guy Gluck or Friedman or Cohn or Rubenstein, whoever made this contract with the king. What would he then do? Uh, he would get every Jew 
he he feels he can trust relatives mostly or friends and relatives and that sort of thing and sent him up all over New Jersey and they report they report to him and you know he's got to have his accountants of course and I don't know whatever else comes with taxes actually it's a business but you know people keep records and uh, you know keep everything on the up and up if you want to stay on the good side of the king because you have a, a lucrative contract to say the least and uh, you know that provides tremendous employment for a ton of uh, uh, of Jews. Now the uh, the Goyim hated this, but the kings liked it. The kings didn't. I'm going to talk about this hopefully on Shabbos in um, Tinek actually. Uh, the kings, the nobles, and the high churchmen liked it, and the Hamunam disliked it. But while it lasted, it was like a sweet deal, um, as you can understand. Now I just talked about a guy named Gluck or Freeman going to the governor of New Jersey. Suppose somebody went you know, to all 50 states. Now you understand what's going on in, in Spain, in Castile, and Aragon, the king, the governor, all that. He hooks up with some Jew through a contractual basis, and uh, and the deal is made. And the Jewish guy puts together, through his per- personal networking uh, abilities, an entire team. I mean, you're talking about maybe a 1,000 people between the accountants and the collectors, and the guys who keep track of the the bookkeepers, and I don't know, whatever else goes, and, and those who assess the taxes, you know what I mean? Somebody's got to do that also in some kind of a fundamentally fair way. Otherwise, you know, if you if you take everything from everybody, you won't have any money left next year. You see, you know, you got to do it in a, in a seichel dick away. And this was a Jewish niche in the economy. That's all I can tell you. In Spain for a long, long time. Now, here's my point. What kind of a guy does it take to get this kind of a contract from the king of Castile or the king of Aragon. Not a big Talmud Chacham, not a poet, a businessman, a ruthless, capable businessman, right? One who understands the idea of the bottom line and knows how to turn profit and, and, and has what we would say today, a organizational ability. I mean, you're talking about putting together an entire network. Now, there's a big profit there. There's no question about that. But you got to have that kind of smarts and that ability. And, and uh, yeah, I've got to be ruthless because you ain't the only Jew with those talents. And so if this contract comes up as it does every year, every two years, whatever, for this government deal, you can be sure the Rubensteins, the Glucks, and the Cones are going to be fighting each other, competing for the contract. So what I'm trying to get across to you is that to be in the royal courts or even in the noble courts, uh back in the 11, 12, 1300s in Spain, wasn't simply, oh, you hang around the dukes and the duchesses and all that kind of stuff. It was very much a business proposition, and you had to be in good terms with the important Goyim because uh, they're the ones who have the final say, right? They're the ones who have the final say, and you have to participate without being uh, too uh, prominent, I guess. And as I say, you have to know how to dance on eggshells. And if you can pull it off, you can do well. But again, it's a rough, tough business. And so you're going to laugh at what I'm going to say, but the, it's the equivalent today of people who go in place, the uh, uh, nursing homes, the real estate, the home improvements, all these kind of things, which are huge projects, and the profits are huge, but you've you got to build yourself a whole organization. And the organization has to adhere the basic business principles because you have the discipline of the marketplace. 
And if it doesn't work, you're going to see it in, the, in terms of the bottom line. And so this is how he had the top level of the Jews for a couple hundred years in Spain, time of the Rishonim. Uh, they're usually rough and tough types. They're capable business people. They're actually, uh, as I said before, uh, very smart in business, almost never learned. The guy I'm talking about, you're not talking about somebody today who can have a nursing home and also give a dafyomi. You know, that didn't exist. You, you know, you're one or the other. And if you go into um, this kind of organizational work, that is to say, if you go into the employee of a court Jew, you're going to live in the fast lane. And first of all, the fast lane financially, that's why you're going in there. But it also means, it did mean, you go in the fast lane um, Yiddish guy wise, which means you're going to play fast and loose with the rules. And it means that uh, you're not going to be hanging around Jews all day long. You're going to be not going to be in Lakewood. You're going to be, if you use the American example in the White House, and that's not even a good example because the medieval courts were, believe it or not, much more um, hefkerdic than the White House. Not that the White House is a paragon of morality, but compared to the courts of the Middle Ages and afterwards, royal courts have always been cesspools of morality. I mean, that, that just, that, that's just how it goes. Uh, now the public is learning how it was under with Prince Charles and Diane and all those other things. This is always the way it is. Um, with a couple exceptions. I mean, you know, not very few Queen Victorias out there. Let's put it that way. And even so, look at the, you know, Prince Edward and all that. So, you know, that's that's the way it is. So as we would say today, it's not a, it's not a place for a nice Jewish boy. On the other hand, um, not everybody's cut out to be a Shiva guy. Uh, not everybody's cut out to sit and learn. That's what they want to do all day long. Yesh v'yesh. And what's fascinating is, there's nothing in terms of inherited. You can have a father, for example, who's a big Rosh Hashiva, but that's not where the son wants to go. And the son or daughter, whatever, could go into some kind of business, like I say, you know, real estate or whatever, investments, online uh, trade, whatever they do, I don't know. And uh, they're living in a different world. Now, how that's negotiated today is very interesting, and probably a lot of listeners know personal examples of people. I know, and I'm just a little guy living in Baltimore. Yeah, I'm out of the way. But, you know, in the in the faster lanes, in Muncie and uh, New York and in uh, Lakewood and such places, there's, I'm sure, a lot more of this. And uh, just because the parent is not from doesn't mean the kid doesn't want to be from and just because the parent is from doesn't mean the kid wants to be from as they get us and uh it so happens that we just finished parsha's uh bullock this made me think of this i used this last night in my speech and there's a very fascinating letter from the ramban it's not the garris ramban that you know um it was discovered i think in 1892 by Salman Schechter, i think and it's a short letter by the Ramban himself, Moshe ben Nachman, who you will perhaps remember had to leave, flee for his life after the debate in Barcelona in 1263 that the king had told him he should debate the Christian guy, the Meshumid, and apparently he, the Ramban, shot his mouth off too much as far as the Catholics are concerned because he called it like he saw it. And when it was over, the king said, you got to leave. I know I promised you safety, but I can't deliver. I can't, I can't keep it. You've gotten the, my fellow Catholics so angry. The only thing I can do is delay the arrest order, you know, 
for a month or two. And meanwhile, get the heck out of here. And he said, I apologize. I promised you that I would take care of you, but I can't do it. So I wish you good luck, and I'll leave. I'm telling Gennad as your friend for your own good. And Ramban got the heck out of there and moved to Israel, as you know. So when Ramban moved to Israel, he had a family. He didn't take all of his kids with him. Now, how old was Ramban? I think he was born in 1204, I believe. Right? So, no, 1194. Okay, 1194. So think about this. So, uh... He was 70 or so when he left. He wasn't a young man. So he had a wife and children. If his wife was still alive, but if he was born in 1194, I'm talking about 1264. So, you know, he was 70, uh, 69, 70. Think about that. So he's got children. You know what I mean? How old? How old? What, in the 30s, 40s, you know, 50s, possibly, you know, they're, they're grown people. I mean, I wasn't there. Maybe he had some, he, he had a family. We don't know all of his kids. We don't know who they are. He had a number of sons and a number of daughters. And the historians are always uh, speculating and picking up little details they don't know for sure. Uh, and when he left, he fled. I mean, his, his kids did not go with him. So basically, he's leaving at the age of 70 to live out his final years and die in Israel, which is what he did. Ramban was, I guess, 75, 76 when he died. And he left around the year when he was around 70. So figured out, spent six years or something like that in Israel, uh, in Eretz Yisrael. So he apparently, not surprisingly, wrote a letter to different kids. And, you know, like a goodbye letter. And it's fascinating that at least one of his kids was exactly the type I said before, who wanted to live in the fast lane. And Ramban was afraid that he's going to be affected by his environment, which is certain to happen. There's no way to avoid that. And he was bothered by it. But all he could do was write an admonitory letter, admonitory letter to his son, which is stay away from the fast lane and stay away, especially from the girls and don't end up like Bullock and Billum and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the language, it's a short letter. That's why I'm going to read it to you. It's fascinating. And, uh, it's not the one the art school put out, you know. Shema Bini Musarvich and all that. It's a different one. And it goes like this. Zosi Geras Yishalchrav Nisker Biyosev Beretz Yisrael LeCastilio. He wrote this back to Castile when he arrived in Israel. Biyosev Beno Omid Lefnei Melech. His son was Omid Lefnei Melech. And what does it mean his son was Omid Lefnei Melech? That time was the king of Aragon. James I, actually. The guy who told him to leave. You know, the king who was relatively, I emphasize relatively good to the Jews, relatively. And uh, it's just interesting that his son was at court, was in the royal service. So, you know, the historian is just interested because how did they pick the Ramban to do the debate? Well, the others say he's the biggest rabbi. Did the king have anything to do with him? Maybe yes, maybe no. As far as we know, not really. Maybe once, I believe. That's what Fritz Bear came up with, I remember reading long ago. But on the other hand, Ramban's son worked with the tax people. He was at the royal court handling as, as part of the finance operation of some Richie Rich. I mean, the Ramban's son was not the Richie Rich. The Ramban's son worked for the nursing home magnate. He worked for the real estate magnate. You understand? He worked for the big investment guy. So the fact that he was son of Ramban I probably didn't hurt him. It's everything skips a generation. The Ramban himself was the son of a rich man 
a shua, a, a noble, and there was a rich man who was not a big Talmud Chacham. The Ramban himself, as you and I know, went in a different direction. Uh, that's why probably the Ramban was a doctor, because his father, when he was young, said, I want you to get a real college education. But on, uh, but, but on the other hand, that's not the direction he went into. You know, you don't write the Kedush Ramban just by giving Gaddafi Yomi on the side. You know, it's, it's the other way around. So that's who the Ramban was. But that doesn't mean that's who all of his children are. And so this particular son, we don't know the name, this particular son uh, said, I'm going to Barcelona, I'm going to the royal court, and I'm going to get a job, like I say, with this nursing homeowner or something like that, in, in, in his case, with this IRS director. That's what it was. Um, and it says, And he starts the Ramban. It's two paragraphs. That's why I can read it. Uh, quotes a lot of psukim. So, you know, he's starting with Yeyasrech, which is Musr. Uh, <laughs> he, he lays it online right away. You're at the court, and frankly, the girls are going to throw themselves at you because the immorality in those days was beyond, beyond. And, I mean, it really was. And I put it this way, it's very different than the Jewish community where Ramban lived. At least we like to think so. And there was another king, my son, once long ago, named King David, and he had a very wise son, and on his deathbed, King David, as we know from the Bible, said, I want you, my son Shlomo, to grow up from Keep the mitzvahs, be a shomer shabbos, be a shomer mitzvah, as we say, so that you'll have a slacha on your uh, worldly projects. That's what King David said. That I want you to uh, be careful, I want you to be observant of the mitzvahs, uh, not lishma, but laman So you see where he's writing to the son, because this is not a son. I'm giving you my reading, that's all I can do. This is not a son who's going to talk about Lishmah. And he quotes another passage that David Amel said to his son Shlomo. And now I, Ramban, I'm talking to you, my son. Compare yourself to King Solomon. I mean, I know you think you're hot stuff, but compared to Shlomo Melch, you got to admit, you're not King Solomon in his glory, who's the richest, the wisest, the greatest in his day. You're a guy. Fiyavah became. So in other words, I'm not saying you're going to be like But I'm telling you, as your father, if you'll do what Shlomo was told, which is if you seek the Lord and keep the mitzvahs, God will raise you up. He'll raise you higher and higher. On the other hand, but if you abandon Hashem, you'll be Zark V'Azuv. You'll be tossed aside in a garbage sheet. Because I want to tell you something. In your line of work, is it, they come and go. In this ruthless world of business we're talking about over here, the Jewish tax collectors and the networks they set up and the whole operations, they're hiring and firing all the time. It's, all you need is some uh, you know discrepancy or something like that. So, you know, you'll have two minutes of fame. You don't want that. If you abandon Hashem, and now he tells them what he expects. 
Now today you say like this, is Ramban, he's held so high. So, you know, we would expect like this, I expect you to learn two blot a day be'in and three blot be'kiyas, <laughs> right? And memorize the tosas and uh, four of chayims. No. Bani hevizer b'krishma shachzvarvis, please make sure you do krishma, and please do shachris mincha marv, right? So the basics. Ubani alachiloscha tvarachanekamishpat, and please make a bracha and bench when you eat. And he's not talking about kosher food and not kosher food. He's just, you know, that's the hint. Please make a bracha before and make a bracha after. Bani alkalponim tikra haparsha b'chol shabbos v'shabbos, and at least read the parsha. The anim seishnai mikrechatagum. Tikra parsha b'chol shabbos v'shabbos and make sure you have a good chumash, because it's, you know, in the era of uh, manuscripts. And keep the chumash with you. If you'll always know the parsha of the week, and you'll always be holding by the chumash, and keep it with you, that's a very minimal demand. Like I said before, he's not saying you have to know the Shev Shemitzah or anything like that, which, which the Ramban, believe me, he would like to say that, but you don't have that kind of lifestyle if you're at the court of the king of Aragon. If you can be basic, and you know, like I say, Davin Shachar's Mechamayev and all the rest of it, put on tefillin. And he didn't say anything about tefillin, did he? Bani Hashach Hashem cast is a pasuk, you know, cast your uh, worries on the Lord. That to me is easy. Cast your no, let's put it this way. Now he's really talking about the number one problem of being at the court, and that's the Benos Moav, baby. That's just the way it is. It's the Benos Moav. And how are you going to stop a young guy, an ambitious guy, for not chasing after Benos Moav, especially if they throw themselves at you? So, you can only do like King David. A person will say, how can I resist this? Seriously, how can I resist this? It's hard to resist. Cast your lot upon the Lord. In other words, for help. And that which is easy and available to you, just consider it very far away from you. As girls. You understand? And everything you have, your arms, your legs, and all the rest of it is in the hands of God. If the Lord, this is from Tillam, if the Lord doesn't build a city, then it doesn't work. Notice, if you don't keep the mitzvahs, any kind of business success you have won't work. When the only end of Hashem does build it, then anybody tries to knock your money away won't work. So I'm giving you, so all this is a very frank kind of letter to a son in which there's nothing by Manadin over here, MS Lamana, MS and all that kind of stuff. He's trying to give it to him straight. And I say, I'm telling you for your own good. Now, I don't know what that means myself. And stay away from the girls. Don't ever follow them. There he go. The Bilam's only success was through the Benos Moav. Shekol hazona in Benos Ho'amim so 
So he's giving it to him. He says, anybody gets involved in that kind of situation is made for a bris, is mechal a bris. Uh, it's like you rejected uh, the whole of Judaism. It, no, it's not a Kleinikite. You see, in that in those fast lanes, the court Jews, many of them, lived what we would say today would be a not, not really a halachic, social orthodox. I mean, not really a halachic lifestyle. And, you know, Shabbos, Kashrus, Mitzvahs, and certainly girls, eh, a little here, a little there, you know, it's very uh, cow, let's put it that way. And you know and I know, A leads to B, B leads to C, and C leads to D. You know, next thing you know, you're in over your head. And that's what he's saying over here. He quotes the Pesukim by Ezra and Nehemiah when they had the intermarriage. And uh, which, in other words, Rambam was not stupid. He knew exactly what the situation is. He's not around his son. He had to flee the country. The son is left behind. And all he can do is write him a letter. And, you know, it's that famous Gemara in, 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 in Sanhedrin where he says, you know, you're, you, you bring a son for Avodah Zar. Okay? All I can tell you is, and here comes something very, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the right word? Classy. Uh, yeah. Where do we find the first court Jew? I'm serious. The answer is Joseph. And what happened? She threw him. She threw herself at him. Asha Patifar. I mean, that was the first guy who was a court Jew. Now, Joseph got into it because of this, that, and the other. It wasn't his fault, but I mean, the bottom line is, he was the first Chatzran. We all know the story. He became the prime minister under Pharaoh. So he was the man. And Chitaka threw herself at him. That's literally what happened. And the only way that he resisted was because he thought of the picture of his father and that saved him. Which means Yosef is called Yosef at Tzadik because to be in a royal court and not do anything, you got to be a big Tzadik. So, Bani, Bechol Ace Tiz Gorosi. Think of me, my son, when I'm away. Think about me and, and what I in my face 24-7. And if you know that I hate anything or disgusting, don't you do it. Don't love to do it. So I mean, you know, what else can he write? Right? But that's putting a I want to tell you something. Yosef Atzadik was a Yosef Atzadik. Most people are not Yosef Atzadik. That's why we try to the degree possible to avoid situations of Benosimov. That's what you try. You know, in workplace and so forth and so on. You know, dialogue Hakim Bermiza. So call Dabashiadatisha Nimoi Soso, I'll Soso. I hope that I will have the same effect on you that Yaakov had on Yosef. Imi Tommy Tia. You will always be with me. Shmor mitzvot So I ask you to repay the favor by being shomer my mitzvot, my commands, 
that I, the Father, am giving you, and live. And always repeat the Pasuk. Now, um, it speaks for itself. You understand? Now, it's very interesting, the family dynamics over here, because Ramban had another son who put out a Masechta, a Pirish on um, Pesach. So, you know how it goes. Just because somebody is a Rosh I don't know where, or the big rabbi, it doesn't mean that every one of the kids, or any of the kids for them, there's no guarantee about anything. Here we have a classic example. The, uh, the Ramban, by the way, this did not happen to Maimonides, isn't that interesting? But of course, he only had one child. Maimonides had a son, Am ben Arambam. Nachmanides had several children, one of whom was most definitely not a Am ben Arambam. Uh, he went a different route. I don't know what happened to him. Um, he lived in the 1200s, and at that time, the court Jew system was in full swing. So if he lived out his life at the court... And he doesn't, based on this letter, he does not seem to have been married at the time. There's no reference to that. So you had like a very difficult situation. A young, handsome Jewish guy with a good background, uh, in, involved in major uh, business operations for the, for the king, for the government, uh, possessed of power and proximity to power, and therefore facing all kinds of temptations. And you have a father who's worried, as any of us would be, and he's trying to cope with this. So it's a very uh, revealing document, not only of the Ramban, but it's very of the whole class of court Jews. I, I thought that's kind of cute. And uh, I don't think most people, you know, uh, read this. It might be in Chevelle somewhere, but like one of the small uh, little uh, articles, you know, one of the small little pieces. But to me, it speaks, uh, it, it speaks volumes. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you again. Thanks very much, Tay Block, for facilitating this. And with that, I wish you a good evening. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.